the middle of the earth in the land of Shire is a brave little hobbit whom we all admire. Long with height, fuzzy woolly toes, lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him, Bilbo. Hello everyone and welcome to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for the... I don't know, second week of October, first and a half week of October, whatever. Tom leads, needs to learn a numbering <laughs> system. I am Brandon Kukowski-Schnell, your uh, interim host, and my game of the week is not the Loot Cave Simulator. Oh my gosh. Um, and hi, I'm Alexa Ray Korea, and my game of the week is not... Oh, I'm going to go with Destiny. I'm going to totally take it back on you. <laughs> It's a popular oh. it's a popular game to not be Yeah, it's just, not be game it's of the week. like uh like I wanted to so I tried again this week. I tried to play a little bit more of it and like mm-hmm. I I'm a sucker for good narrative and it's just not there in Destiny and it just I was going to say that is not the game for you. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, so I'm sort of it's not my game of the week again for however many weeks it's been out. Sorry. No, nope, I understand. <laughs> I am um I'm actually level 24 and I'm kind of in that valley where How? The, the story is done, and I'm just I'm essentially just replaying things. I'm just redoing story missions for trying to grind out the stuff that you need to grind to get the higher level stuff. And I'm I've never played an MMO before, so so this is all new to me. But um, but before we go further, why don't you uh, <laughs> introduce yourself uh, as to so you, so you work at Polygon? What is your official uh, title and job descriptions. Um, so my official title is reporter. Sometimes uh, my my colleagues like to joke and they like to call me the senior Mordor correspondent sometimes <laughs> uh, for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, and I do. Which we will get into. And I do. Uh, oh, I do everything. Uh, news. I do a lot of. I really like doing long lead investigative stuff. I cover events. I've been at you know E3 and everything this year. I'll be at New York Comic Con this upcoming week. If I look like I'm about to cry, feel free to come up and give me a hug because New York Comic Con is overwhelming. Um, mm-hmm. And like, and I do reviews. I've done a lot of reviews in the past month, so I'm pretty much like a jack of all trades reporter. But I am a officially the title is reporter. That's what my business card says. So okay, um, if I. Let's let's real brief. I want to get back to New York Comic Con, but very briefly, <laughs> okay. very briefly, who one person, if you saw a Comic Con, would you lose your shit over? Okay, I, I, uh, it you would know, be, I, I go ahead. <laughs> it would be Troy Baker, but um, the thing, and he's going yeah. to be there actually. Uh, Is he really? Yes, I actually. Uh, I have a lot of friends. Uh, who I have a lot of female friends who have very large like crushes on Troy Baker, and I actually had the pleasure uh, the pleasure to uh, moderate the Shadow of Mordor panel for Pax Prime with him on it, and uh, yeah. everyone on the panel had breakfast together. So I sat across from Troy during breakfast while is he as gorgeous in person as he is in media. Um, because- He's a fine-looking man. He is very tall, and he has perfect uh-huh. hair, and was just like perfectly groomed. And he's and the funny thing about this is like he's this very like if Troy's listening, I'm really sorry, or I'm not sorry actually, but he was like this very beautiful man, like sitting across from me, um, uh, uh e- eating breakfast, and every other sentence is in like a different character voice. I was gonna say <laughs> just do Joker all day. Now I'm a Mark Hamill. I'm a Mark Hamill Joker purist. Yes. Okay. I think he did. And I'm going to say, like, I think Arkham Origins was a shit game, <laughs> but he did an amazing job in it. He and he did an amazing uh, Mark Hamill Joker. He he did. And it was just so, like, 
I don't know, like I've always been a big admirer of his work. And like I still unfortunately have moments uh, in this job where I'll meet someone who I admire. Like when I met uh, when I met, um, for example, when I uh, had my first phone conversation with Brian Crescente, which was the day I was mm-hmm. the day I was hired. Uh, He's also a gorgeous man, also, just yes. an extremely good looking man. Hair. <laughs> his hair is magical. He has like a magical family. He lives in like this beautiful house with his, yep. his beautiful, smart wife and his beautiful, smart child with all of his dogs. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I had that first phone conversation with him, I had been following him for many years. And it was just sort of like me sitting on the other end of the line, trying not to like excited vomit because I was like, I'm going to call my break. And now I talk to him every day and it's just like, oh, Brian's calling me, you know. Um, get off the line. Right, exactly. <laughs> but like sitting across from, from, from Troy, like I'm trying to like, I'm like nervously, I, I nervously drank four cups of coffee and was very hyper oh. for the rest of the day. But he's just like, he's very like humble and just very natural and like, just kind of like happy. And if I get to see him again at New York Comic Con, I'd be totally over the moon because like, mm-hmm. he's like such a great guy. Patrick Stewart's going to be there. He'd be my, my runner up, oddly enough, to Troy Baker. <laughs> no, that would be, I'm, I'm not a huge Star Trek fan. Um, I uh, I like the. I'm sure this will get me. This whole show is going to be spent probably annoying people because that's what I do. I don't. I like the new movies and I like the. Um, I like the movies. I, I I think the Abrams stuff is just fine. I like the earlier stuff. I never got into the original show. I thought Next Generation was incredibly boring. But I love Patrick Stewart as a you know just his, he seems like an incredibly nice guy and very gracious towards his fans. And of course he's Professor X. But um, I love the idea of like him and like Ian McKellen together. Just being best friends. Yeah. Isn't that just like a wonderful notion? Oh, I love it. And like the pictures of them doing like, like yeah. the waiting for Godot pictures where they're like yeah. hang, hanging out, hanging out, hanging out in some Central Park. I just want to eat a sandwich between these two guys because they're just so <laughs> cool. Like a happy sandwich, a joy sandwich. Um, yes. That's really awkward to say. I'm sorry. It's fine. It's going to go there. It's fine. Um, for me, it would be Gail Simone. I think if I met Gail Simone, I would probably just collapse into a puddle because I think she's wonderful. Um, um, have you ever had that freak out fan moment at any con ever? Have you ever been? Oh, my God. I met Mark Shepard oh. at my first E3 when he was on at the time he was on Battlestar Galactica and he was doing the voice of a video game called The Conduit. And so he was playing. Um, oh, God, I can't remember his name. I'm terrible with names. Romo Lampkin. Okay. And now he's been on Supernatural, which my wife and I, huge Supernatural fans. In fact, the last test, the last tattoo I got just a month ago was the uh, Don't Get Possessed by Demons tattoo that Sam and Dean have. (laughs) Well, uh, Dean has it. Sammy does not have it anymore. Anyway. And I met I met Mark Shepard and I just kept saying my my at the time, my friend Bill, who was my boss at the time, was was doing a lot of coverage with me because it was my first E3. And we kept running into the guys from um, I think it was High Voltage and 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 Mark Shepard. And I kept saying, this is Romo Lantkin. And Bill was like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> and I and I talked to him probably over the course of the of E3. I probably talked to him for like two, three hours. Oh and just such a nice guy. Just extremely down to earth. Very, very nice guy. Um, and so he's been in a lot of stuff that my wife and I watch. Like he, he, had a, he did stuff in Burn Notice. He did stuff on um, White Collar. And then he's on Supernatural. And every time... He's on screen. I say, you know, I've met him, right? And she's like, yeah, I get it. That's awesome. <laughs> Five or six years ago, you need to let it go. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So so that that was it for me. Um, 
Okay, so we need to you you call yourself the senior mortar correspondent. So we need to we need to I need to establish some bona fides with you. Before we, <laughs> are you okay with that? Absolutely. Do you feel on the spot? Okay, this is a softball. There's two questions, and one of them is going to be a softball. One of them I think it'd be extremely difficult. Okay. Okay. Oh. All right. The first question: the upco- the the recently released Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor. Why is it named Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor and not Lord of the Rings Shadow of Mordor? Okay. Is this like a you know the answer and you're quizzing me, or is it like a yeah. yep. you know the answer? Yeah. Oh my God! I can tell you what I was told. Okay. Um, I was told that the reason that they're calling it Middle Earth is for two reasons. One, they're sort of tentatively establishing like an IP line brand. So if they call it Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor, the next game can be like Middle Earth something something. And also uh-huh. uh, part of the reason that they didn't call it the Lord of the Rings is because one, it's not a Lord of the Rings game. It's not about the Lord of the Rings. And two, uh, Monolith and Warner Brothers can't actually reference Lord of the Rings proper in Shadow of Mordor due to the type of license that they have. Very good. All right. Excellent. Is that right? Oh, yeah, okay. Good. Was, no one yeah. lied to me. Woof. Okay. <laughs> yes. Very good. Okay. So my next question is, uh, if there was a Lord of the Rings breakfast cereal, what would the best Lord of the Rings breakfast cereal be? There's a right answer to this one. <laughs> There's a right answer in my head. <laughs> The Lord of the Rings breakfast cereal. So the Lord of the Rings yeah. is all about like a balance of power and balancing uh-huh. balancing like your intention versus the tools that you have, but still keeping it uh, true to keep or staying true to that original intention. So I would have to say, if there was a breakfast cereal, it would have to be something kind of healthy with a little bit of sweetness to it, and I feel like it would be akin to, in some way, some sort of median balance between, like, uh, Golden Grams and Frosted Cheerios. Like, it would be good for you, but with, like, a hit of something good tasting. Okay, this is... This is. I'm going to say this is amazing because I went the terrible pun route. You put some thought into it. Tell me if this does not fit both things. Silmarillion Toast Crunch. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. We, it's kind of like Golden Grahams, right? Do you know how much money we could make off of this if we went around to Warner Brothers and was like, hey, we've got a brand tie-in product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is good for children. It's good for the yeah. brain. It also tastes good, and it's got a cheesy, fantastic name. Please take it. Oh, we've That's got. Right. We've got. We're sitting on millions. <laughs> we need to. We'll, I will. I will have my lawyers draw up a, a, an agreement. We will share. We will share the uh, the proceeds. Oh my god, I love this. This is the best. That was the best question. <laughs> oh, thanks. I try. I try. They're all, it's only going downhill from here. So. <laughs> All right. Um, so speaking of Shadow of Mordor, there's um, I have not put as nearly as much time into it as I would have liked. I loved uh, part of the reason. Um, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed your work for a while, but I, your um, your piece, your long form piece on the history of Lord of the Rings uh, video games, I thought was fantastic. Oh my God. And it one of the things that I was just amazed at was just the Byzantine kind of licensing deals that had been struck over the years uh, um, and the ways in which the, the Tolkien estate kind of reacted to the way things that, that, that went down. Um, yeah. Christopher Tolkien is 
kind of a dick, I feel totally comfortable saying. Okay, and that that's one thing I wanted to ask, and we're gonna we're gonna cover a, a bunch of things, but but so the whole the pumpkin and the tomato thing. Okay. Oh. <laughs> now that felt when I was reading it that. I mean, when you consider just within the lore of Lord of the Rings, if 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 what they're saying is that, OK, you know, after once the age of man comes around, that's supposed to be like Europe and oh well, there's no tomatoes in Europe. I mean, I think you could probably explain that away fairly easily, considering all of the things from Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and that whole universe that, you know, aren't around and haven't been discovered. So that just felt punitive, like it was almost like he was saying I don't. I'm not comfortable with the fact that these games are being made. So maybe if I take all their pumpkins away, it's so weird. It's so it's so strange because like so like the side note the predominant the the fan favorite theory for stuff like pumpkins and tomatoes and corn is that oh they brought it over from Numenor and Numenor was uh, Middle Earth's Atlantis that you know what happened to Atlantis but like um, they're like oh like they brought it in from another land so we have it. Um, I just think Christopher Tolkien's issue and like I've never spoken to him directly, but like I read uh, I read a lot of like Tom Shippey was a really big Tolkien scholar and Humphrey Carpenter. He wrote this really great book called um, The Road to Middle Earth, chronicling like the the writing and publication process of The Lord of the Rings with Tolkien and um, Humphrey Carpenter's biography. And uh, Humphrey Carpenter also edited and published Tolkien's letters, this huge selection of his letters. And there are excerpts from the letters actually in my story. Um, right. where he's talking about the movie, the upcoming movie adaptations, which he never got to see. Um, and what I've gathered from that and from press surrounding Christopher Tolkien, based on what he said during the Lord of the Rings films and the Hobbit films, Christopher Tolkien said, I forget the exact quote, but he basically said that his father's works, he feels, are unfit for media adaptations. He thinks they should just be books and people should just read them and appreciate them as they are. And no one should be making any movies or any video games because there's no pure, proper way to translate them. So uh, at every turn, and this is also in the story too, besides the pumpkins and the tomatoes, at every turn, the Tolkien estate was going well, actually, you can't do this, and we don't like this, because part, part of the early licensing agreements was everything has to be run by the Tolkien estate. So I think the guys working on the 2003 Inevitable Entertainment Hobbit game, they all told me, yeah, we designed this really beautiful um, uh, uh, Rivendell, and we had this idea of having like tree, whatever, like tree houses and whatever, and they sent it to the Tolkien estate. The Tolkien estate didn't get back to them for four or five months, so they continued developing the game and then all of a sudden they got this decree from on high going uh these houses suck uh you have to redesign all of them these can't be in the game and that's what happened with the tomatoes they were like you can't have tomatoes because they're a new world crop and like it was incredibly frustrating and it stunted development on the game um the game sounded like it could have been the game the initial design for the game sounded a lot cooler than what the game actually was even though the game was you know really Good for what it was, but the initial idea just sounded so badass. So Christopher Tolkien is the youngest son of J.R.L. Tolkien, and him and his wife run the estate, and they just don't like approving anything. I remember when the first Hobbit movie came out, Christopher Tolkien released this statement that was just like, this is wrong, and it sucks, but they're making so much money. Like, this money flows, right, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, the, so, so, they're, so they... They're opposed even to the because I mean I I to me like I like Lord of the Rings mostly I mean I've read the books um, I've read The Hobbit and I read Lord of the Rings that the those three books 
and I'm I'm definitely uh, I like the movies. Not to say that I don't like the books, but I wasn't um, uh, invested in the property prior to seeing the movies. So you know, I think the movies are are great, and I enjoy them. And it seems like they did a pretty good job. I mean, there's a lot that they can't put in there, so I can understand from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm just I'm surprised that given the quality of the movies, that they're still so against you know the the development of of um of future properties it's really confusing to me um i've read a lot of a lot of books that are like that chronicle like tolkien's childhood and there's a uh, there's a book dedicated specifically to uh tolkien and cs lewis who did narnia and their time in the war and then their time uh together after because they were they were besties for like a very long time and how sort of uh and how how the how the world was changing around them developed uh, or influenced how they developed their fiction, and I can see a little bit why Christopher Tolkien really wants to keep his father's works pure because his father uh, in his works was very much at uh, at war between things that were pure and simple and nature and like right. the good old way and then technology. I mean, you have Saruman and Isengard cutting down trees and building a war machine. Right, and, then, right. and then the trees come to life and like destroy everything. That's such a very that's like so in your face, such a literal metaphor. Um, right, right. And Tolkien in his in his uh, letters is like, oh, I didn't do that, but you totally did it on purpose. Like, don't even. right, um, right, right. Yeah, so I can see why Christopher is like, oh, my father's works were not meant for, to be transformed into these things. I also think it's just sort of like. I know that if like my parent created like some pure work that like everyone loved and then like years down the line, people are like adding female elves and romances, like I'd be pissed off and be like, please, please stop ruining everything that I love and hold dear. Um, By the way, I don't know if you can tell, but I totally don't like the direction the Hobbit movies went in. We'll we'll get to that because I want to I want to touch on that later. Um, So we'll we'll put a pin in that. I have it on my list of stuff. but but so so there's no sense of just kind of bringing something to a wider audience because you know basically like my personal experience I when I was a kid I had a, a box set of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and I remember I could tell you what the books looked like I could tell you what the box looked like I can also tell you that I never read them <laughs> um, and when I knew that. Peter Jackson was making Fellowship of the Ring. I said, okay, well, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll read it. And I read it and, you know, Fellowship of the Ring, the book ends in a different spot than where the movie ends. Yep. And so I went to see the movie and then I, you know, I got a little tease of what was coming. I was like, okay, well, I, I got to just finish it. And I just burned through the whole thing and I really enjoyed it. But the reality is if I hadn't seen the movie, I I don't think I would have been spurred on to read the book. Yeah, there's definitely. So the thing about the movies is like, I think Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson picked uh, high points on which to end Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers. But if you read The Hobbit and if you read all three Lord of the Rings books, because it's three books, um, he Tolkien takes his time winding down. Yes. He takes like two whole chapters to wind everything down and then bring it down and have it settle. So his books settle, but Jackson's movies end on these like really high tense points. And that's, you know, that's done because it's a movie and you want people to come back and see the second, third movie, whatever. Um, Right. So, yeah, no, I thought the movies were a really good way to bring people into the books because like I had friends that were like, the ordering is too long. I'm not going to read it. And then I dragged them to see the two towers and they were like, wait, what? 
And then they had to go back see the first movie. They had to read the books and like, right. I think, right. I think, I think the trilogy, the Lord of the Rings trilogy films did a good job bringing people into the literature. The Hobbit again, pin on that. We'll get to it. Yeah, no, well, let, let's get back to that. So, oh. <laughs> so you, so, well, I have to, you know, we want to, if, trust me, we're going to go all over the place. We'll never get back to it. So that's good though. So, so I, I, to me, The Hobbit, take it. I, I really, I've seen them. I've seen them on like Lord of the Rings. It was like, okay, you know, I saw the first one and then it was like day of two towers. Boom. We need to be in the theater. Return of the King day of, we need to be in the theater. The Hobbit, I had no interest in seeing it in the theater. I have seen since it, Oh, sorry. I have seen. I have. Sorry. I have since seen it uh, once it came out on home video, and I, I still feel the same way. I think Benedict uh, Cumberbatch has done an excellent job um, as Smog. I think Martin Freeman is great. Um, I think the the guy, uh, the main dwarf, Thor Oakenshield. I think he's good. Beyond that, I really could care less. <laughs> um, so. Just full disclaimer, like I do like the films. Like I have watched them repeatedly. Um, mm-hmm. I have not. I have not missed the only film that I that I was not at the midnight showing for was Fellowship of the Ring. I've been to midnight showings of every other movie, and I'm going to be at the midnight showing of Battle of Five Armies in my Hobbit cloak because that's what I do. Um, sure. But um, no, Benedict Cumberbatch. Like when I saw that scene, like that's the scene between Bilbo and Gollum, and the scene between Bilbo and Smog are arguably the two high points of the book mm-hmm. and they're very cerebral. Yes. Um, and part of my worry when I was like, okay, Peter Jackson's doing the Hobbit. They have to make these scenes so, uh, so powerful that they stand out amid whatever action scenes that Peter Jackson is going to do because Peter Jackson makes movies uh, that follow a very, very similar formula and he's good at it. You have the first big right. battle and then it comes down and then you have the big second battle and then it comes down. Um, right. And I think the third movie is very obvious what those are going to be, but like, um, I think that the way that they did those two scenes, I think Martin Freeman is the best Bill, Bilbo. I can't picture anyone else voicing mm-hmm. voicing Smaug because um, mm-hmm. when he opens his mouth, when they sent that teaser, that first teaser video where you hear him, where you yeah. hear him say it for the first time, I remember sitting there being like, okay, if this voice is like, if this voice is even like. A, like a like a one note off what it should be for Smaug, then it's going to ruin the whole movie. And he right. opened his mouth and was just, "Where are you?" And I was like, "Shit, it's over!" Like they did it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that it's I agree perfect. With. Um, I, I I think yeah. giving Evangeline Lilly and Orlando Bloom, you know, uh, something to do because they're I don't know, apparently hard up for work. I'm like, what? I, what is I, that? I don't get at all. Like at all. Um. So I. I'm. I think we had a perfect amount of Legolas skating on things that weren't skateboards in the first thing that we. I don't think. Yeah, because that's what he does. He skates on things that aren't skateboards, and he does it twice. In uh, he does it twice in the Desolation of Smaug, which is hilarious, and yeah, it's like a drinking game now. But um, uh, I can. Okay. Okay. All right. So I get why why Peter Jackson decided to add all of the extra characters that he did. Um. To, before I get into my problems with Legolas and Tariel, uh, a point in the movies where he did do it in a very smart way was introducing Radagast, 
um, and having because Gandalf does during the Hobbit timeline, he does go deep into Mirkwood and go to Dol Guldur and go check out what this necromancer is all about. And Radagast, right. Radagast has a little bit of a bigger part in the movie, but by showing him Radagast in his element and then by also um, showing him have that those conversations with Gandalf, I think it was a really good way to sort of show viewers uh, without without pulling without making them go back to Tolkien's text and read to show them like hey there are other wizards in these worlds some of them right. are also equally like screwed up and don't care about you so you have this like crazy right. man in the woods with the bird shit on his head which is cool right um my problem with Legolas and Tariel is that i know why Jackson added them and i and i and i and I think it was an un, it was an unnecessary focus. I realize he wanted to bring Mirkwood and Thranduil into more of a focus because we have already met we've already met Elrond and Galadriel. Right. Um, right. We know the big elven rulers. We've never seen Thranduil, and Thranduil is kind of scary and a little screwed up. So he's a he's a fascinating character. Um, the reason before I get into why I hate them, the reason that Tariel and Legolas are there is because Legolas. Uh, Legolas is uh, a very active figure. He leaves uh, the halls, the, the the Elven King's halls, and he's running around Mirkwood, and he has Tariel. Tariel is his his love interest, so he will listen to whatever she says. And when she goes running after the dwarves after the barrel scene and is like, and basically calls him out for not caring about what's happening in the world outside of his borders, that's Legolas's impetus to go, hey, wait a minute, we should care. And then his father sees what Legolas is doing, putting himself in danger for things outside of his borders, and Thranduil will go, my son is putting himself in danger, I have to do the same. And that is a very visual way, without doing the whole cerebral explanation, it's a visual way to get Thranduil and his armies out of Mirkwood and into the Battle of Five Armies in the movie. Oh, okay. without, right, so instead of, you know, like in the book, Bard, Bard and I'm not going to ruin it for people that haven't seen the movies and aren't going to read the books, but Bard and everyone are like doing their thing and Thranduil, they've already released promotional images, so you know Thranduil's in the battle, but Thranduil shows up in the book and is like, hey, we want some of that dragon treasure. Literally without prompt, nobody knows he's coming. He just shows up. He just shows up. Yeah, and everyone goes. So yeah, pretty much, he shows up and is like, "Hey, uh, some I want some of that." And everyone goes, "Uh, no." And then there's a battle. Um, but in the book, there's a lot more back and forth, verbal like thinking. And the narrator goes, Tolkien as a narrator goes into the like, and Thranduil, and he doesn't name him, but he's like, and the Elven King in his halls thought, you know, oh, money, whatever, and so he comes out. But we don't have that. That that cerebralness. We don't have that narrator. So Peter Jackson needed a needed a physical, visual, easy way to show why Thranduil would give a crap and come out and come to the mountain. Um, right. His son. And why would his son come out? Because there's a girl involved. Um, right. Don't get me wrong. I love. I love. I think Evangeline Lilly's performance is amazing, and I love her as Tariel, and I love. The character, I think she's. I think that they added her because there are no females in the Hobbit at all. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so they needed for a modern audience. It's like we need a girl because girls are going to come see the movie and be like young young women are going to come see the movie. Right. Like, uh. So you have the attractive dwarves, Keely, right. and you have the woman. Um. And I love her, and I love what they. I love her performance, and I think she's great. I hate the fact that she exists. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really, I, I'm really sad about it. And like, I will, I think Evangeline 
Lily, Evangeline Lily, during production, there are stories of her saying, she said to Peter Jackson, she said, uh, she's a big Tolkien fan, and she said, uh, I agree to play this character, and I agree to do the film, but you can't make me, I will not do it if she is a romantic interest. And the story goes, from her, the story goes that she filmed a bunch of scenes, and they left, and then they said, hey, uh, we need to call people back for some for some extra scenes post-production, and they were all romantic scenes. Oh. So poor Evangeline Lilly. You know, that sounds familiar. I think I remember reading that as well. Yeah, and like, and like Evangeline Lilly is obviously very proud of her performance, and she should be because she holds. She should be. Yeah, and she holds it down in a female cast uh, that's you know dominated by dudes. I thought uh, the addition of Galadriel in the first movie was also smart because the White Council does happen, and Kate Blanchett is just. She's ethereal and lovely and scary and terrifying. She's the she's perfect for Galadriel. If you read the Silmarillion, Galadriel is like is like Middle Earth's original badass. She leads her people across like this field of like basically an ice field. Like she leads them across what is the Bering Strait covered in ice to get from you know Valinor to Middle Earth and brings them all home. And she just sets up shop in Lothorien and is like, I'm staying here. If you, and what is it? Uh, Celebrian is like is like um, Celeborn. Celebrian is her mother. Celeborn, her husband, is like, so you're kind of hot? And she's like, all right. And he's clearly like the subservient one in the relationship. Like she clearly right, wears, the, right. wears the pants or whatever. They wear Middle Earth. But um, I thought having her alone in the movies, having her presence in the movie, and she's in the Battle of Five Armies for some reason, but having her presence in the movie, I think would have been powerful enough without adding this uh, love interest. And the thing that really kills it for me her addition is um, in the Lord of the Rings. We have uh, we have Legolas. He shows up and does his thing, um, and we don't. You know, it's whatever. Um, if you've read The Hobbit, again without spoiling it, you know what happens to a majority of the dwarves in Thorin's company, uh, including certain dwarves that Tariel may or may not like to hang out with. Um, Tariel exists in that movie solely to bite it. Right. She exists to die. She was created to die, to make someone angry, to make something happen. And I think right. using a woman in, again, it's crappy. Using a woman to use that yes. plot device is crappy. Right. That's why I hate it. Right. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. And I agree with you. I mean, um, and I want to get to that. That, that leads us nicely um, for, to, for Shatter Mortar. But, but before we do that, I think that um, for, for someone such as yourself who is you know, so well versed in the lore, uh, you know these the different callbacks and stuff in the Hobbit. I mean, it, it definitely makes sense, and and I, and you know you're able to kind of connect those dots and say, okay, well they need a reason to bring this in. I know it's coming, so it makes sense for those of us like myself. I just look at it and I go, okay, well they want to make sure they have some sort of call to. Uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy so that people who maybe weren't interested in the Hobbit, but goes, Oh, Hey Legolas, I like him. Yeah. Okay. I'll go see that. You know? And, 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 and so that's what I see that. And it, and it may be at least initially. And so, um, you know, obviously once you start watching the movies and stuff and you kind of see, you know, how things develop, then that kind of changes. But, you know, that was always my initial impression was just like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, they, they, they want to tie it back so that people who maybe are on the fence, uh, have a reason to, to to be invested. Yeah, it's a very like like it it happens in it happens in the books themselves. It's a very Tolkien thing that when like a woman close to you is injured, everyone freaks out. Like when um, when Theoden uh, sees 
sees Eowyn on the battlefield. Right. In the book, right, he's right. he's in the book. He's like, oh my god, why are you? He, holy crap! And he's dying, and he's more concerned about her. Um, right. I also think that uh, uh, Eowyn. Uh, well, yeah, I'm talking about Eowyn, but Tariel. And to an extent, what they did with Arwen in The Lord of the Rings, I think it sort of cheapened the power that Eowyn holds. Because yeah. Eowyn is Tolkien's, you know, badass, like, hold her own female. And right. her right. story, her, the way that her story and her life, it is much more plausible for her to have done the actions that she did. Um, right. Peter Jackson actually filmed, when they filmed Helm's Deep, they filmed scenes uh, Arwen was supposed to be at Helm's Deep. She was supposed to jump on a horse, put on some, put on some right. nice clothes, and uh, run out to yeah, and run out to Helm's Deep. And there's actually footage out there of her fighting alongside Aragorn on Helm's Deep. And I'm so glad that didn't make it into the film yes. because I would have lost my shit. Yeah, yeah. Because it makes well, I, yeah, it, it would take away. I mean, I mean, Eowyn, that you know, the big, the big deal of her, yeah, being able to, because she's she stabs that one. Ring the Witch face. King of Angma. Yeah, the Witch King. Yeah, him too. <laughs> that guy, the Witch King. It's very important. It's the Witch King. It's not just any ring wraith. Sure. It's the Witch King. Sure. I gotta watch my. I gotta. I gotta make sure. I gotta, I gotta make mistakes. You're just gonna have to be. Yeah. Watch your proper nouns. Uh, that's right. Well, my my favorite part of the Hobbit is that one guy who was in the last Fast and Furious movie. Uh, I forget his name. Um, he is the guy. He kind of plays like uh, an Aragornish character i can't remember his name he seems he's i think he's a ranger or something in this in the are Hobbit. you talking about bard luke evans yeah yeah luke evans yeah he was he was the bad guy in in uh, fast and bard at the moment he's also dracula in dracula untold in dracula untold yeah so so you are to lord of the rings what i am to fast and furious <laughs> uh it requires far less brain power though. I, can, <laughs> I can already tell you that um so okay, so so let's so let's get into um, Shadow of Mordor. Um, right. Last week, Zach Gage wrote a piece at Polygon, an opinion piece, um, for Ben about yeah. Well, there's the sign. Okay, um, about the whole um, the stealth tutorial, and 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 this this ties back to to what you're talking what you're talking about with with the impetus um, in the Hobbit of you know tutorial mm-hmm. um, having issues. Um, First of all, and and at the risk of I don't I, you know, what did you think of of Zach's piece in terms of did you did you feel like it was a big misstep? So for those that haven't played Shadow of Mordor, there is a tutorial, and the tutorial acts as both a way to teach you about fighting and stealth, but also as flashback scenes uh, so that to establish a relationship between Tally and the main character and his his family who. Uh, and this is not a spoiler alert because it happens fairly quickly. Uh, they don't have a very good day. It's also in all the promotional material. In all the promotional material, right? Um, so, so um, yeah. So the the combat tutorial is you fighting with your son and teaching him how to fight. There's also a little bit of the two of you fighting the Oryx together. Is that am I pronouncing that right? Oryx. Yeah, you're doing Oryx. I'm proud. Okay. Um, and the stealth tutorial is you sneaking up on your wife. Um, so that you can um, give her flowers and kiss her. And um, I think the, the button prompt was press, press square yes. to kiss your wife, which is unfortunate because it reminded me of the worst button prompt in video game history from Homeland, press X to jump in mass grave. Oh, <laughs> You played Homeland, not because the content was the same, but just that kind of 
there's just no good way to phrase press button to do menial thing. Yeah. You know, like, so, but anyway, so what did you, what do you, do you agree with Zach? Do you feel like that, you know, there's kind of a disparity between uh, how you should feel as a player when you're stealthily creeping up on an enemy to take them out, as opposed to how you might feel if you're creeping up on a loved one to pinch their butt or give them a kiss or whatever. <laughs> um. So I'm going to, there's two I have two two explanations for this. Um, I read that story, and I was very unhappy. Um, mm. I I really really didn't like it. I mean, I understand where he was coming from and what he was trying to say, mm-hmm. but to be completely honest, um, I felt that it was making a problem where there actually isn't one. Sure. And then all of a sudden, a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, that's horrible. And I'm like, oh, God, great. So here's the thing. Number one, um, about the tutorial on a surface level, on a non-critical level, uh, I thought it was really refreshing to see a tutorial do something that different. I mean, I, I, agree. I really like that the tutorial bounced between, you know, you being like, oh, my God, what happened? And then being like, I'm play- playfully sword fighting with my son yes. on top of the thing. And then you go after your wife. And I think that uh, Monolith Productions did an amazing job of getting through getting through the introduction of the game quickly and yes. quickly enough so it put, puts you right in the action when you're ready. It doesn't go on a minute longer. It doesn't drag out, right. here's the prologue, and now here's the tutorial, and now here's the whatever. It right. mashes that all together into a really nice, uh, small, maybe 10 minutes or less package. Very small. Yeah. yeah, very small. And it's perfect. And in those 10 minutes, not only do they show you your basic combat skills, uh, paint a picture of the environment you're in, paint a picture of the situation you're in, but it gives you gives you at the time as much backstory about Talion and the relationship to his family that you need to immediately feel bad and be like, I need revenge. Mm-hmm. It gives you... See, see, now that I would disagree okay. with. My, my problem with the tutorial wasn't so much the difference in mechanics because um, I just, I personally, when I, and maybe this is wrong and I've just played too many video games, <laughs> um, when I get tense in a game, it's not because I am. It, it's not because of what is about to transpire in terms of the violence that is about to transpire. I get tense simply from a "Am I going to pull this off?" Okay, uh, type of thing. So I'm not invested in the action um, in terms of like, okay, what am I about to do to this orc? It's more like, is this, is this going to work? Am I going to get away with this? Uh, my problem with the stealth tutorial is that. Um, I really didn't feel like there was enough. I, I like that the fact that the tutorial was short, but I also, I don't know. I just, I, I guess maybe because I knew, yep, they're going to die. Like, I don't know. I just, I, to me, I never, I didn't really have, I didn't feel like I had a relationship with her to where I then was like, okay, I got to get these guys. It was, it was to me, it was just, it was set up. Okay. Well, this is what happens. Um, and then, and then you go from there. Now, that being said, I, I'm, I really like the way that they did it because it was different. And, yeah. and so they're, if they were going to do it anyway, I would much rather have something new and different. And I'm not, I'm not just sneaking up on, on just some random guy that they're like, pause the screen and say, okay, he's, he's red. You could kill him. Um, um, did you, uh, what, what console are you playing on for Shadow of the PS4. PS4. So then you hear the little voices coming out of your DualShock 4. Yeah, that's kind of weird. I, it always, it always freaks me out when that stuff happens. Um, yeah, like during the loading screen, yeah. you know, like you'll hear her. Yeah. Um, yeah. if you, 
if you I've spent I spent way too much time in that game and I think I've heard some dialogue sections twice that's how many how long I've been playing but um you get a lot of backstory hearing them talk and it's such like a it's such like a little side thing and it's such like a sneaky little addition but like yes. you hear them talking you hear one of the one of the cutscenes quote unquote is um Irith, his wife talking to what sounds like her father and she's saying right. i'm pregnant with talion's child i'm leaving right. Right. And it's right. just so great. Like they're they're uh, they're outlaws. Italian, I guess, accidentally killed someone, and they're like they they're like they're they're quote unquote they're hiding yeah, out at the black. They're quote unquote yeah. banished, and he's just serving right. time at the black gate. And I think that's so cool. Um, so I don't know. I got I I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's me sort of retroactively looking back and being like, oh, I loved everything. Well, that makes sense though. I mean, if you if over the course of the game, it it kind of you know strengthens that 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 reason. Then that's great. Yeah. Um, that's great. Um, now, on a similar level, though, um, so so Lord of the Rings to me is 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 basically a story of a large groups of people that are basically willing to either ignore the fact that the world is going to shit or just say not my problem, um, and so we're not just going to deal with it, and a small group of people that realize that they have a responsibility to try and stop basically the thing that that they see is that everyone sees is happening but for for various reasons decide not to really act again yeah no that's that's absolutely Um, it if you notice like nothing happens anywhere in the in the lord of the rings until a member of the fellowship shows up and is like hey stuff's going on like even in fangorn like right yeah so so in shadow of mordor if we follow that trend and we needed to give Talion an impetus to act, even if it's out of vengeance, is it? If even is, is it is it okay to basically fridge his wife? That that's my problem. What? Is that, <laughs> you, to you know, like, fridge his wife? Yeah. So do you know that? Trope I do. When it fridges, I do. I just want to make sure that's what I heard. Yeah, 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 yeah. What What do you do? You feel? I mean, as a as a critic, as somebody who plays a lot of games and and sees this used a lot. I mean, I can, I mean, just recent, I mean, Watch Dogs, that there were so many women in refrigerators in that game. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, but in this game, it, giving Talion an impetus to do something kind of fits with, you know, maybe stuff that, 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 that is going to happen in Middle Earth down the line. Um, um, so... That I actually, and this is a really, this is going to be a really long-winded, complicated explanation. So, please, please, please. In in the Lord of the Rings and in Tolkien's work in general, a very large impetus for seeking revenge or setting out on a journey of sorts to gain power or complete an objective often has to, uh, often uh, or or a major emotional change in a character often comes with the loss of family. Um, mm-hmm. In the Lord of the Rings alone, you have Frodo, whose parents drowned. So okay. he so he ends up with crazy crazy cousin Bilbo. Bilbo is not his uncle. He's his like se- is it's like his second cousin. Their second cousin right. or something. Um, Eowyn and Aomer lose their parents, and then Theoden right. loses his son uh, right. very rapidly, and Theoden goes off goes off the deep end. Um, uh, 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 oh my God! I actually forgot his name. The steward of Gondor, Denethor. Oh my God! Mm-hmm. I almost just lost nerd cred there. Denethor. <laughs> Good save, good save. Denethor loses uh, loses Boromir and then thinks he loses Faramir and right. sort of flies off the deep end and takes great action. Um, 
uh, Elrond is paralyzed by the idea of losing his daughter after he's lost right. his wife. So right. it's this big, everyone is paranoid over losing their family or has lost family and is now sitting out. Um, I think of the loss of, uh, I really like that monolith made it, made it um, a wife and a full grown child, like an adult, right. an yes. adult child. That does make it. Um, because instead of being like, I lost my wife and everything is horrible. You have him um, before his wife is killed. His son is killed. And as they're killing his son, you see him leaning down going, look at me, son. I'm right here. I'm right here. He, he knows right. he's going to kill him, but he's like, focus on me. And they kill him. Um, and he actually carries his son, the sword that he gave his son, the broken one at Karn. Right. He carries it with him. And I think it's very telling that he's carrying something of his sons rather than something of his wife's. Right. Um, I don't want to say it's okay they fridged his wife because that sounds absolutely horrible. No, no, it's I, I, I know what you mean. But, but by using his wife, um, they sort of have that reminder of not only did he lose the woman he loved, but he lost the woman that bore him something else he loved, his child. Right. So I think that impetus, and as you get farther in the game, uh, as, as you get farther in the game, like some of the artifacts you find and some of the little uh, dialogues you hear are him him talking to his wife about the son or it's him and the young son talking and they're talking about his future and whatever. Um, and I honestly think that the way that they did that was, was really well because they didn't sexualize ERF in any way. They characterized her very much as like a nurturing mother. And if you Mm -hmm. listen to her singing, like when she's walking away from you in the beginning and she's, she's singing about Talion, she's singing about, which I think is, I think they did a good, they did a good job with it. And I know a lot of people are mad that it's like, Oh, it's a woman is an impetus, but it's more family. I feel like people focus on, Oh, he lost his wife because it's such, well, it's a common thing. I think that, 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 I mean, that was the, you know, I, I tend to, um, I don't know. I, it, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I was like, oh, this is, you know, ridiculous, but, um, it just, I think because it happens so often that that's the thing you kind of focus on. But I think your explanation, um, is good and it, it frames it, it certainly frames it differently. You know, it's not just this individual, it's this unit. It's, it's, he's losing everything, not just, yeah. You know, um, it's not just a plot point. And something that something that uh, Shadow of Mordor design director, der, der, design director Michael DePlatter, who is awesome, by the way, um, his Tolkien knowledge is far and above mine. And I respect mm-hmm. the hell out of that man. Um, he said that uh, part of it, part of what they were thinking of when they were putting Shadow of Mordor together was that there are themes in Tolkien and there are stories that uh, stories that are cycles and tropes that repeat themselves. And all of these stories and these cycles, these families and revenge and stuff all come out of some sort of mythology. Tolkien borrowed a lot from mythology and mm-hmm. old fairy stories and like history of Britain, like he borrowed from a lot of places. And these sort of cycles repeat themselves. So it's totally plausible to have a guy come back from the dead and seek revenge right. because his family was killed. So it right. sort of falls into that, those Tolkien cycles. Sure, sure. And I mean, even in the real world, I mean, we, we find ourselves constantly uh, going over, you know, things keep happening mm-hmm. and you, you keep returning to certain um, certain ideas and certain courses of action, regardless of whether or not they worked in the past. But um, so one of the things that I liked uh, in your piece when you were speaking to, and I, I forget the gentleman's name, there was a Tolkien scholar. Um, Professor Corey Olson. Yes. And one of the things that he mentioned about Shadow of Mordor um, was he saying, well, you know, kind of, you know, a big theme in Lord of the Rings is like that you don't use power for like using using power f- 
for, for good things, using bad power for good things is, is bad. It will eventually lead you down a bad path. That's why, you know, um, Gandalf realized that the, that the one ring, he couldn't take it for that reason. You know, Galadriel, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he kind of mentioned Shadow of Mordor. But so that to me, though, one of the, here's one of the things I was wondering is, is evil in the Lord of the Rings universe because Talion doesn't, I mean, he has a power, but he has a power that's bestowed upon him by the dude who's sharing his head. It's not like he found the ring <laughs> right. and he's like, okay, sweet, I'm going to use this to get revenge. So my first question is just more of a mythological one, and then I want to I want to ask you what you feel. Uh, I, I want to ask you a narrative question afterwards. So in The Lord of the Rings, is there this notion of, like, that kind of all the evil comes from, like one place and so using any kind of power kind of in a bad way for a good reason is is as corrupting as any other like you, you see what i'm saying like I, I don't know if i'm phrasing that correctly i uh, um go ahead. Oh, no it's okay um you are I, I totally get what you're asking um evil so in tolkien's vision of arda which is what he calls the earth um evil happens when uh selfishness and uh, selfishness and doubt and um, fear overcome all else within you. Um, so that that's basically what, what – so Lucas, when he was talking about the dark side and anger and fear mm-hmm. and fear attachments and that kind of thing. Um, okay. In, uh, in his in – Sil- he talks about this in the Silmarillion. Um, his – the world, for him, the world was created by one god, Eru Iluvatar. He has a choir of lesser gods, or they can be, I can only describe them as gods because that's the easiest way to explain them to people. Sure. But they're like demigods or whatever, and there's, uh, there's like a handful of them, and he decides that uh, they are going to sing the world into existence. And, and they're all singing in harmony, and, you know, trees are springing up, and the world is being made, and whatever. And this one servant, this one demigod, or whatever you want to call them, goes, you know what? I want to play my own freaking song. I don't want to follow these people. So he, It only takes one. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so he plays his own song, and Illuvatar goes, like, what the hell was that, man? And he was like, I don't, I, I, you don't tell me what to do. So they were like, okay, we're going to keep an eye on this one. He's going to be a problem, and he became the first Dark Lord. Okay. Um, he... Uh, made giant spiders that ate the first incarnations of the sun and the moon. He uh, corrupted people's minds. Um, one of the biggest side stories in, or t- two of them, actually, he plays a major role in two of the biggest stories in Tolkien mythology. One of them, he um, he kidnaps a kidnaps a, a man. He is, he, this guy has a very successful family, and I sort of see a lot of Italian in this story, but he kidnaps him and then tortures him and is like, where is... He's looking for the Silmarils, which are like the big, powerful jewels that were made many, many eons ago and inspire lust and greed and all that stuff. Um, and he's like, where are they? And the guy won't tell him. So he uh, chains him to a chair on the highest mountain in the world and gives him, um, gives him a sight so he will see his family wherever they walk. And his whole family falls into ruin. His wife and his daughter are exiled. The wife gets sick and dies. The son uh, loses, uh, runs away. The young girl loses her memory. And then the son and the daughter meet up in another country, don't know who each other are, get, oh. get married, get pregnant. <laughs> and then a dragon pops up and is like, there's like a fight with, there's a fight with the dragon. And the dragon goes, oh, by the way, you porked your sister. And she kills herself. Uh. <laughs> 
Wow. And then he kills himself, and this man basically watches his whole family just be destroyed. Um, it's it's called uh, for those of you who now want to read it. It's the Children of Hurin. It was really, it's called it's called uh, Alexander's No Good Very Bad Day. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Um, but it was released as a, uh, Christopher Tolkien edited it and released it as a standalone book. So you can actually go buy it as a standalone book, which is horrifying. Um, but um, this guy sort of created. He sowed the seeds of evil, and he told people, "Well, you know, he, you know, it, it would be good if you helped him with this. But what about you? What about you?" And sort of inspired that jealousy and that greed and that desire to um, desire to look out for yourself. And that's where it started. He had a servant named Sauron. See where this is going? Um, and uh, it was he corrupted uh, uh, when uh, the Dark Lord, his name was Morgoth or Melkor, and he uh, eventually the gods said, "We've had enough of your bullshit," and they tossed him into the void, which is the blackness surrounding the earth. So he's out there waiting for Ragnarok so he can come back and like do whatever he does, um, leaving Sauron. And Sauron, uh, Sauron figured out that men were easier to corrupt because men were not given immortality and eternal beauty. So he found it very easy to go to men and be like, hey, those elves think they're all that, don't they? Well, what about right. you? What about you? And inspiring that greed sort of started this ripple that destroyed everyone. And um, that's sort of where evil comes from. It stems from that, that one, that one guy and like the trickle down of like, only think about yourself, like think about right. the greed and the whatever and blah. And and how easy it would be to convince yourself that even if you're you're doing a horrible thing for a good reason, right? Okay. And there are a lot of a lot of characters in Tolkien that sort of struggle to strike that balance. I know a lot of people. When you mention like Grima Wormtongue, you think, oh, he was a bad guy. Uh, if you read the books, and I think Peter Jackson did a really great job of portraying this in the movie, Grima kind of isn't. 100% on the bad guy side. He struggles a lot, but he's doing it because he's looking out for himself and his well-being. So he takes that route. So a lot of the times it's fear and cowardice that drive you to do that. Like Denethor, uh, looking right. in the Palantir and stuff like that. Saruman, uh, wants, so, so, uh, Sauron and Saruman actually, and Gandalf and the wizards, they're all, they all began on the same plane like the same hierarchy the same power the same level they were all on the same level so uh when you're in by the time of the lord of the rings sauron has amassed this dark power and is and has armies and saruman looks at him and it's like what about me so it all comes back to that desire for power and that desire for control and looking out for yourself so yeah i hope that answered the question yeah yeah no absolutely but okay so um but just from a narrative perspective, I mean, I understand what this guy was saying, but I mean, like these characters, they're certainly much more interesting mm -hmm. this way. Like, you know, I think the biggest um, probably the in terms of uh, reach at the moment, I'd say um, Game of Thrones is probably the best parallel to Lord of the yes, Rings I in agree. terms of being able to bring a kind of a fantasy setting mm -hmm. to people who maybe traditionally aren't interested in fantasy. And the best... Uh, brightest guy in that that book, you know, Ned Stark. I mean, he. I subscribe fully to the Jon Snow as a Targaryen theory, and it's not a theory. It's fucking the right thing. I do too. Thank you. Okay. And him and so Daenerys are going to get married. Yeah. So he he <laughs> takes in his sister's sister's kid. He he pretends that it's his bastard. I mean, he he did all these great, wonderful, nice things, and he did not turn into an interesting character until his head left his shoulders. Yeah. Um. And it's, 
you know, I think I understand what um, you said, uh, Professor Olson. Is that, yes. is that right? What I understand what he was saying and how, you know, that kind of stuff frames, um, uh, you know, the actions. But but at the same time, it's like, well, you know, you kind of got to like these guys, they have to get their hands dirty. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it, they're not really interesting. And, and if they're struggling with it, even better. Um, one of the things I absolutely just hated, 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 hated. So many things I hated about the, the, the newer Star Wars movies. But just this notion of, oh, no, Jedi are these pure people and and a lot of that the reason I pushed back and I hated it so much is because of how the books that came out after uh like the new Jedi order and all that stuff showed the Jedi struggling with things like well you know it's kind of a ridiculous notion that you that getting <laughs> mad would bring you to the dark side like i mean you know anger is just a basic human emotion and 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 the difference is does it do you let it consume you uh, and what are you getting angry about? Are you getting angry because that person has more than you? Or are you getting angry because you're seeing an injustice and, and anger is an appropriate response so that you can deal with it? Like, And I, I just hated this kind of black and white morality. I just thought it was so boring. Um, and I loved in the New Jedi Order that kind of messed with that and kind of you know showed the Jedis being things that could, people that could kind of not necessarily get dirty, but they, they're, they're human. They have a range of emotions. Um, and that's mm-hmm. one of the things I like about Italian is he's willing to go to some really dark places. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it, it kind of keeps it interesting to see, okay, well, how far kind of, how far are you willing to take it? How far are you willing to let this guy go? And putting that in the player's hands in terms of, you can just stroll up on a dude and kill him, or you can orchestrate this huge coup thing where you're, I don't know if you've seen the videos lately of like, oh, yeah, this, you know, the one guy taking out a war chief with like with every single captain and and henchman and then just mind blasting them all at once. Like, that's really dark. <laughs> oh, my God. I love I love that that game lets you. And it, and it is and it is very dark when you've got control of so many people. Right. Um, I was doing this and I actually some guy is now doing some metagame and has been posting screenshots chronicling his journey through Mordor. Um I forgot who what his username is though, but um, just capturing at one point I had I think three war chiefs branded and two were left and I had all their bodyguards and I had some bodyguards of the other war chiefs and I literally just set them all up and had them go after each other and all I did was show up at the little marker that appeared on the map mm-hmm. and I stood on top of a ruin and I watched them destroy each other. Right. It got to this point in the game where I was not lifting a finger and I was just watching them kill each other and it was just like, you did this. Right, you right. did this. It's so right. crazy. Now, on that note, so you're, you're uh, Chris Plant, who now is at, uh, he's at The Verge, correct? He's at The Verge now. Yeah. Uh, so you you don't like him anymore? Is that correct? No, yeah. I miss him. <laughs> <laughs> so he wrote he wrote I thought was a really great uh, piece about oh, yeah. uh, you know about Italian kind of you know you know basically using fear to brand the orcs mm-hmm. and basically bending them to their will and how you know in terms of video games that's not I mean yeah you you may mow down a bunch of guys which should be inherently disturbing however making bending them to their will to where they are more afraid of you than the war chief they were originally mm-hmm. under is actually a lot more disturbing. But the the Oryx themselves, they're they're not like people, right? Like they don't have I mean they they, they were created to serve Sauron. They're evil. They they uh, basically 
Is that, kind is of, that right? Kind like, of. I mean, do they have, I mean, because the game gives them personality. Yeah, they do. But at the same time, it seems like, I, I kind of get the feeling that they're, um, they're kind of like bugs. Like they're, they're kind of, you know what I mean? Like they, 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 they don't have a culture of their own to where, like, if you were doing this in a game, like if, if this game was about killing people and you were like terrorizing them to do your bidding, I think people would be far more, I would hope people would be far more uncomfortable with it. Yes. Too much credit. Um, I mean, so is that not right though? Am I, so, am I, am I giving this game a pass? Uh, so here's the thing. I think uh, regarding Plant's story, uh, Plant at one point calls Talion a terrorist, and I actually think that that, that explanation is spot on. That's what, okay. that's what Monolith wanted you, wants you to feel like when you're infiltrating this race of people. They're a race. They're in Tolkien's lore. They're capitalized. They're a capital Uruk race. Um, okay. And... Um, they give them, you get to, you know, if you, if you walk by them, you hear them talking about what's for dinner or someone's right, armor. Right. Or even like they talk about you. You can hear them talking about you. And, um, and the, you know, they set up all these camps and they have their own social hierarchy uh, for how you progress and how they deal with each other, which makes, and they have a language that makes a culture. They are a culture. Um, Tolkien, if you dig through the Lord of the Rings and you dig through the Hobbit and you dig through the appendices to the Lord of the Rings and you sort of dig through all of his extra writings, there's a lot more about the orcs and the Uruks um, in his writing. And they are a race. And the one of the the one of Tol- Tolkien constantly revised his own material. And I think one of the later explanations for the Uruks that he had, or the Orcs, the Uruks are the Orcs of Mordor. That's their official title, the Uruks. Right. Um, that's what they call themselves. Um, the Orcs of, uh, the Orcs in general, all the Orcs, um, were originally elves that had been, uh, that had been, uh, brought into the service of Morgoth, the first Dark Lord, kept underground, uh, tortured, tormented, and they evolved into these hideous, malformed, malicious creatures. So they were once elves. They were once, mm-hmm. you know, people as, as, as we yeah. consider people. And now they're these disgusting, crude, crude uh, creatures. But uh, when you think about it, they are uh, an army. They are a, a race of people following a leader. And their leader has a beef that they had no part in starting. And they don't really have part in completing either. They're just following orders because that's all they know. But they also seem pretty happy to be. They are. They are pretty happy. Like, yeah. Which, which I mean, that doesn't. That doesn't. That that clear. I mean, clearly, you know, yeah. the, 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 there are parallels to that everywhere. Oh yeah. Um, like the way that Monolith made them, and I think by by giving them by digging more into their culture and by you know giving them those little things where they talk and giving them each their own set of abilities uh one of the one of the weaknesses that they can have actually uh and you encounter this more and more as you get farther into the game is fear of the grave walker so you can actually i actually uh approach situations where i would walk i would stroll up to a group of orcs and some of them would scream and run away mm-hmm. uh, I, had right. a war, I had a war chief i had a war chief that had fear of the grave walker and i really wish that i captured this but i walked into i walked into the confrontation and he looked at me and he w- started screaming and then i chased him down across <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, I think I think we were running for a whole minute. I chased him across the entire map. He was stumbling. He was screaming. No, please, I, don't, I didn't sign up for this. Screaming. And I just uh, made him down in cold blood. And I felt kind of horrible after that because that was... Say, a, so what you're saying is that I should feel bad for this stuff. Like Chris Plant was right. I should feel bad for what I'm doing. Well, I mean, you shouldn't feel bad, but the sub... I mean, or you, do, you don't have to feel bad. Let me put it that way. But the subtext... <laughs> The, the subtext of the game is, uh, I think it was cool that, you know, they use orcs instead of elves. It was, was elves, yeah. people would be really pissed off. But, like, yes. the fact that you are a person of, a person of, in Middle Earth, what we would consider a superior race, infiltrating and dominating an inferior race is actually really horrifying. Right. Then that's, uh-huh. that's a pretty good <laughs> message to put out there. Yeah. And I'm, I'm being, I'm being 100% serious. Um, I think that, you know, there's plenty of times in the world where you might think either for uh, for for, for um, cultural reasons, social reasons, classist reasons, um, that it could be very easy to just kind of go, oh, OK, well, that, this is OK because I'm better than that person or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, um, uh, you know, maybe kind of seeing what you think is OK to do simply because you feel like this this race is beneath you is actually really kind of gross and unsettling. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> Uh, like yeah. I remember having a um, when when uh, GTA Five came out. Um, did you play GTA Five? I did. Okay, so um, Tom and I on his show we had a discussion about the whole um, the torture scene mm-hmm. and whether or not that should be something that people should be allowed to skip. And I said no, they shouldn't because it's very easy to read about something like that um, and whether or not. Uh, you know, certain governments do it or did do it or didn't do it or whatever and just kind of go, wow, that, uh, you know, uh, that sounds kind of bad. You know, nothing, nothing for me. Uh, I think it's OK to be uncomfortable being made yeah. to to see that and being made to feel uncomfortable as a result of it, because maybe it might give you pause. Uh, and, and, you know, games are such a fantastic medium for giving people a level of interactivity that makes them feel really great or gross, or scared, or whatever, gives them some time to to consider the actions, because they actually have to take an action. Yeah. Um, so so that that's really cool. Um, I unfortunately, I have not gotten very far. I, have, I am not branding anybody. I feel uh, I got killed once, and that guy got promoted, so good for him. I feel like I was, you know, good for him. Um, I, I broke an animal out of a pen, and I was like, I'm going to ride this cat down, and I went to he killed my my guy my my animal with like one shot i picked the one guy who was like oh can't be killed by animal attacks and then he ran away and then i was like sneaking up (laughs) and this guy was like belittling his slaves and i killed him and he ended up being like a captain or something and i'm like well that's no fair i got chipped i'm like i want to i want to be mind controlling people Oh, I love it. I love it when that stuff happens. I went into a firefight. Like one of the one of the side quests was like kill fifty orcs in three minutes. And I was like, No sweat, I got this. Yeah. Um and I jumped in and I started killing them and then in rapid succession five like higher level elite captains come in and are like, Hey and then the action stops and he's like, I thought I killed you or like what like whatever they say. Yeah. And it happened five times and I was like, I am screwed and of course they like three of them were archers. And they all right. murdered me immediately. Like, right. but it's I, I kind of like that aspect that you don't know who you're dealing with until yes. they're on you. 
Yeah, I had one where I was like, oh, yeah, two guys, I got this. And I didn't see, like, the 10 nearby. And I was like, I don't got this. And, like, one of the best things, I read the Kotaku piece on tips for playing of Shadow of Mordor. And the number one tip was run away. And I was like, I'm out of here. Yeah, don't be afraid to run. Like, do not be afraid to run. I ran a lot. If you run and you hide and they'll sort of lose interest in you, you can sort of right. turn back and, like, pick off the people that followed you and then, like, go after them or, again. Yeah, uh, or at least heal. Yeah, it's a it's a long game. Um, I had... I don't know if you had a special orc, but I had a special orc. Uh, no, I do not. Named Pasha Frogblood. And Pasha was large and green. And Pasha, uh, I could not defeat. I met him very early in the game. And for some reason, he was always the person who would uh, nick me right as my health was at its oh. lowest. Um, after I had gotten the two attempts to, you know, to evade death. Um, I love that. I love yeah. that mechanic, by the way. And he was, I love it, I love it so much. And he was a funny man, because when he approached battles, he, uh, the first battle I encountered him in, there were Karagors in cages, and he goes, mm-hmm. he goes, well, I don't I want those cages for reasons. And it was just like, really, <laughs> yeah. And it was like, there was a really slimy, but really hilarious thing to say. And then everything else he said to me after when I encountered him was like, are you back? Are we going to play? Like, really, really playful. And I was like, yeah. this son of a bitch kept, kept dying. So at the, towards the end of the game, uh, there's, a, there's a moment where the, the one that has evaded you, it's just you and the one that has evaded you. And it's like, mm-hmm. defeat your nemesis. And I'm like, oh, I get it. And I got to show down with Pasha. And I was very sad to kill him and watch him go. But we had a very special relationship throughout that game that's uh, that's awesome it's i mean it's, probably it's the best part <laughs> yeah i mean it's a really interesting system and just the fact that there's so many kind of permutations in so many ways that that through direct action indirect action things can be affected and and your your story about pasha and i i could get a special orc or not get one i mean totally different and just kind of giving people the opportunity to talk about these things and having a system that lets everybody's game be different so that then generates mm. more interest in either maybe doing it again or oh i want to try that i think that was genius um the other thing i think was genius is going down the hall uh, you know, I I always picture like all these publishers, like all these developers work in these giant buildings. And I know that Monolith and 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 Rocksteady are two totally different places, but I just love the idea of them going down the hall and be like, "So that Batman combat's pretty awesome. Can we can we just take that? <laughs> we just take all that?" I <laughs> I loved it. I, I immediately like I played I played Arkham Asylum and I I played Arkham City. I I got like. You know, I, I, I did I, I was the guy that did the maps and got all the medals and the, all that oh, shit. Man. I mean, I was I was insane. My wife was not happy with me because of <laughs> how much time I, I used to hog the TV getting the challenge maps like the the, the, the hardcore ones at the end there. And um, and just I, I picked this controller and I started fighting and I was like, yep, got it. Rhythm block don't mash the button tap that guy move to that guy that guy's coming get out of his way just just fantastic just fantastic i i love it and and it just slides in so easy and then there's also i love the parallel because you know batman his whole thing was fear Mm -hmm. Um, you know uh criminals were cowardly and superstitious lot and i mean he 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 was a terrorist uh to a certain degree i mean he you know the best part of arkham asylum is when you got that one guy left and those some of those stealth uh, parts of the game, and you could see his heart rate going like crazy, and he just doesn't yep. know where you are. You can kind of play with him. Um, so, so I think that that that's uh, just great to be able to 
to use such a fantastic combat system and it works well and it feels organic. It doesn't feel like they oh, yeah. try to shoehorn it in where it doesn't fit. Yeah, it totally uh, fits. Yeah. So I am um I'm looking forward to spending more time with the game, um, with the the holiday seasons being the way that it is. I have Borderlands two coming next week, so I think I am gonna end up having to put Middle Earth on hold for a little bit. Borderlands uh, and then, uh, Evil Within and Fantasia. Yeah. Um, yep. Um, and this so, one came out today. Yes. That's yeah, you. Yes. Uh, so I have a I have a one more Lord of the Ring questions for you oh, because gosh. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but here in video game land, you are only allowed to like one thing. Oh. Um, and so I need you to explain to me how you can be um, such a fan of Lord of the Rings, arguably the backbone of Western RPGs. But also be such a huge fan of Kingdom Hearts, Final <laughs> Fantasy, uh, because I, I don't know if you know this, but you're not allowed as a gamer to have wide ranging interests. You have a you have a hole. You need to be in it at all times. So I need you to defend your actions here. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my of course, of course, I'm kidding. No, but I totally, uh, I totally get what you're saying because that seems to be the general tone uh, these days. Um, <laughs> not, not naming any names, Gamergate. Not naming any names. Uh, uh, not even naming. That. No, naming things. Um, uh-uh. How can I love? How can I love? The the because here's can I give you my own personal yes. background while while I let you formulate an answer like I grew up I played Dungeons and Dragons and then I got into computer gaming through uh, I mean I got I, I started a friend of mine was like oh you got to play Baldur's Gate it's based on D and D and I was like okay cool I know D and D got into that and then Fallout and all that stuff I'm I am very much a Western RPG guy like like I I like like the Tolkien stuff even though um. Like I, I, my favorite part of the Lord of the Rings movies is how and I know this is stupid. My favorite part of the Lord of the Rings movies is how dirty everybody's hands are. <laughs> like when they go to pick things up, like their nails are filthy. Like, that's what it should be because they, you know, these guys are like they're tromping through the woods and they're in the muck and it's just a very and Lord of the Rings itself. I know there's like high fantasy and low fantasy and and without getting into all that, like it's Bridget, very that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I know I I'm a weird dude. I get it. Uh, but so it's bad. just that lived in. It's that lived-in sense, okay? Yeah. And JRPGs, and I, I don't play many of them. I, I like, I love Bravely Default. Um, I loved, um, oh, the studio, oh, shoot, um, the one, uh, oh, damn it, I can't remember the name of it. Nino Kuni, um, mm-hmm. I love that game. Um, I, I tried to get into some of the Final Fantasy ones. I just, I just can't. It seems it's very, uh, very clean, very, very like I don't want to say fancy, um, but um, I don't know. Like there's just something. It's just a, such a different aesthetic uh, to me. I have such a hard time because I'm such a huge Western RPG fan, mm-hmm. and I kind of associate that with a particular aesthetic. Then just kind of switching over to the the aesthetic of like I'm used to like no, you're a wizard. That's it. That's all you'll ever be. You're, but you're going to be a great wizard. <laughs> and then, you know, you have like Final Fantasy, what was it, three or with the job system, whichever one it was. They're like, hey, be whatever you want. It's fine. It's cool, man. Do whatever. You know. Like, cool. default where you can have like a secondary job? Oh, uh, I cannot tell you. I cannot tell you how much time I spent uh, leveling up jobs in that game for no other purpose than just to level up the job. Never even used them. I never even used them. 
I am so proud of my summoner salve maker. You have no idea. I see. And salve maker was the one I didn't do. Salve maker was one of the ones I didn't do. There's a goddamn. There's a special thing. There's like a special healing thing that I powered up and like whatever. But yeah, so good. Um, So so how do you? Because I can do JRPGs in very small bursts, very specific. It's very. I don't do JRPGs as a genre. I will do very specific uh, JRPG games. Um, whereas, whereas you are a fan of, of I think, a lot more of them than I am. Okay, so I'm going to give you my funny answer, which is true, and then I'm going to give you my real answer. Okay. Um, my first answer, I like things that are long. Okay. Um, I like long experiences. I okay. am a big fan of how freaking huge The Lord of the Rings is. I like having a... 40-hour JRPG that takes me forever to complete and ruins my social life for several weeks, uh, like Lightning Returns did. Uh, and I um, and I really like the idea of having this really long, meaty story, and I think that's what draws me to both Tolkien and JRPGs. Um, my real answer, and this is something that I sort of... So... I'm, there's a particular kind of story that I love. Everyone has a certain kind of story that they love, whether it be like like the stories that they play have to have. They're drawn to things with powerful romances. Or they're drawn to something with a tortured hero. And I'm actually going to use a Lord of the Rings quote to uh, illustrate this point. But at one point in uh, the Lord of the Rings, Frodo is going, I don't know how the hell I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to complete this quest. I can't do it. I can't do it. And uh, Galadriel turns to him and says, even the smallest person can change the course of the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the Lord of the Rings and in most JRPGs, you have a group of fragmented people if you look at the fellowship of the ring and if you look at as a recent example bravely default the cast of bravely default you have a group of fragmented people with their own problems their own demons their own baggage all looking at the world and saying something is wrong and i don't like it and i'm compelled to do something and they inspire each other and get together to do something and as they go on their journey like ripples they affect the people around them who go Oh, I have to do something too. If you look, if you look at, uh, as an example, you look at um, uh, Mary uh, in in uh, Meduseld with King Theoden, who mm-hmm. he sort of inspires King Theoden to go. You know right. what? I'm going to do something, and they do right. something. And if you look at um, in Bravely Default, I'll use Idea as an example because she's the most powerful one. She's blindly following her father's orders, doing what they say, and then she meets on yes, and it's like, wait, I've been wrong. I'm going to admit I'm wrong, and I have to do something about this. I can't just, it's right. not okay for me to just be like, I'm wrong. You have these groups of individuals becoming wholer and more powerful people through their interaction with each other, and that's what draws me to both those kinds of stories, and I think Tolkien does it really well, and I think that uh the Japanese role-playing game, I feel the Japanese culture, the uh, the developers in Japan, I think they've really nailed that idea. Granted, Bioware did too with Mass Effect. I think Mass Effect did right. a very good job of doing that. But I think that those two spheres both deliver the same kind of story. And that is why I can have two holes. Thank you very much. That was that was an excellent <laughs> answer. That was an excellent answer. I thought about I, that. My hat's off to you. I'm this slow. This is this is good. Those would be very 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 softly clapping, so it's not to mess with the audio levels. <laughs> um, okay, so we're gonna play. 
a, a, a quick game before we, we talk about what you've got going up next. And this is a game that's just going to be designed to irritate people. So here's what I want you to do. Okay. I want you to take a genre of game that you have no interest whatsoever, and I want you to say X game is the – and I want you to pick a part of pop culture, music, book, I don't care, that you are apathetic towards. So, for example, if someone really wanted to hurt my feelings because, you know, I can't have an opinion unless it's validated by somebody else, they would say, I can't stand Borderlands. Borderlands is the Pearl Jam of video games for me. That would that would devastate me as a human being. See what I'm saying? So, yes. um, Okay, so here's so I'll do mine first and uh, and I'll and (laughs) hopefully I won't irritate you. I know this is such a silly thing to do, but you know what? We're having fun. <laughs> so for me, city builders are the lord of video games. I do not understand the appeal of city builders, and I do not understand why lord is a big deal at all. I just <laughs> to the point of annoyance when I hear her on the radio. So um, okay, I actually yeah. I can. I came up with an example, and then I realized that it was actually a game, and then I'll give you the answer that, I'll settled, on, that I settled on. I was going to okay. say that uh, uh, mobile games, literally what came into <laughs> my head was mobile games are the Kim Kardashian of the game world. There's a Kim Kardashian mobile game. <laughs> literally, and then I was going to be like, well, what about Facebook games? No, it's on Facebook, yeah. too. Yeah, it is. So uh, that doesn't work because it's a thing that exists. Um, mm-hmm. But if I had to really annoy people, I would say that MOBAs are, are probably the guy fiancé of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm with you. I do not. I do not understand because they're I do fast. Not understand MOBAs. They're yeah. fast and confusing, and my boyfriend yeah, I, loves them. Yep. Uh, you like Guy Fieri? I maybe he probably does if he likes MOBAs. <laughs> Let's hope not. Um, is is there is there like a huge, extremely popular thing in pop culture that you just are like I just don't get it. Like you're just completely. Ap- I think every. I mean everybody has one. What what's yours that you're just completely apathetic towards? You're like I just whatever. I don't get it. This is going to hurt a lot of people, possibly including you. But I have off. I have like almost like an aggressively, an aggressively apathetic interest in the Marvel universe. Oh, God, yeah, that yeah. hurt. Yeah, I, so I'm so bad. Sure. I'm sorry. It's the worst. And this is like, so I'm whispering because I'm afraid people are going to come. People heard that and they're going to get me. But like, I don't know if I can breathe right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, I, I read some of the comics and I was like, okay. And like, I like comics. I think Lock and Key is my favorite comic ever. Lock and Key was very good. Um, you, know, you got Joe Hill writing it, and then uh, you know, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good, that's a good series. Yeah. So I now I'm like really afraid people are going to come burn my house down. But like, mm-hmm. I um I I read some of the comics, and I was like, okay, this is okay. Um, I I watched the Avengers movies. I mm-hmm. watched the Iron Man movies. I watched Captain America, and so I watched-, you watched everything leading up to it. Nobody can say that you went in ill informed. Yeah, no, 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 I didn't. Like, I watched all, I watched all the movies. I haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy yet, but I, whatever. But like, I've watched, I watched all the movies, and I left them, and I was like, that was a good movie. And they're like, 
and my friends are like, oh, I had Captain America's butt. And they're just like, and the Lord, I have a friend who is a huge, huge, huge um, Avengers, like encyclopedia, her knowledge is encyclopedia, like, like an encyclopedia. She's just like so smart and she knows everything. She's like, mm-hmm. to that, what I am to Lord of the Rings. And she can pull out, pull out any fact. And I, and I just, and I just don't, I'm just like, like I listen to her talk about it. I listen to people talk about it and they're like, oh my God, Avengers 3, rumor leak. And here's the new, oh, yeah. and I'm like, yep. I'm like, okay, like I literally, like I don't get excited, but I also don't have like a negative reaction. I just, mm-hmm. it's like a thing that exists in the world and I can't get into. DC I do like, which is what confuses me. That's, and that's, yeah, that is strange because from a, from a movie standpoint. Now I would agree with you as a kid, I much enjoyed uh, DC comics and I still, I think to this day, I prefer DC Comics to Marvel Comics. However, I think from a cinematic standpoint, the original Superman, uh, Chris Reeve movie notwithstanding, I think that um, you know the Marvel movies have a better track record as a whole. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, you've got the, the Nolan Batman's are very good, but you know, kind of everything else is like, Ugh. Uh, whereas you know, Marvel has been kind of knocking it out of the park. Granted, they have their stinkers too, right? Um, but uh, but that's interesting. Yeah, that's I just don't. I mean, like, if someone can and whoever is listening, like, please don't hurt me, please. Um, the quarter to three audience, they're they're a class <laughs> act, so I think you'll I think you'll be okay. But if anyone wants to email me with like Marvel things that they think I would like and would make me appreciate the the sector of nerdom, like, please do because I'm horrified with myself that I can't. <laughs> that's such a tough sell in comics because i mean there's such you know anytime you have so many different creators doing things i mean there's there's like seminal works within marvel but then you can also have really horrible things like i i personally i love all the marvel movies and i think that uh captain america 2 the winter soldier was an amazing movie but the stories the winter soldier that those are based off of are far far better and they just they do a great job of you know, kind of the conflict in that movie that Cap has with with um, director Fury about, you know, there's, they have this conversation with Fury. is like, look, you did some bad stuff, too. And, and Cap's like, well, yeah, but we kind of knew it was bad. Like, they don't gloss over it in that storyline. A big part of that is that, you know, Cap didn't do that bad stuff. Bucky mm-hmm. did that bad stuff because Cap had a had a he, he had a they had he had an image that they needed to uphold, even even unbeknownst to him how they were doing it. So they kind of, they get into that more. Um, and there's, you know, there's so, it's so hard to say, okay, yes, this run right here, because you could read that run right there and then you could read another title that's crap. Yeah. Um, so in comics, it's a, I think it's a harder, it's, it's, it's definitely a harder thing to do. It's very easy to kind of read that stuff and just go, eh, yeah, it's all right. Because you're not reading what people would say. No, it's not the quote unquote, the right thing, but yeah. Uh, but no, I I, I I get that. I mean, I, you know, no, it's fine. I'll just edit that out. Uh, no, kidding. Um, so very briefly, this has been a wonderful time, by the way. I hope you I hope you've had a good time. I thank you so much for coming. Um, what what is next? So so you've got you've got New York, uh, New York City Comic Con coming up uh, this week. And then as far as games go, because this is this is the heavy season, which is the other reason I wanted to thank you uh, for coming on the show, because I know that this is like the worst uh, season in the world to ask somebody who covers games uh, for a living to take time out of their day. So what is what's next for you? What's on your docket? 
Oh, my God. Well, today, it's unfortunate because I'm going to be near Comic-Con for the next five days, but I got my code for Bayonetta 2 today. Oh, okay. Very and good. That, Were you a big fan of the first one? Oh, yeah. I loved the first one. I thought it was really action-y. Okay. Um, that's on my plate. Uh, when I get back, that's the first thing. I'm going to just tear into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got what's sitting around. I haven't given uh, Smash Brothers 3DS my full attention yet just because there's been mm-hmm. so much going on, so I'm going to dig into sure. that. Um uh, I, like I imagine you could street pass the hell out of that game at New York City Comic Con. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, no, I'm gonna be. I have to be uh, because New York Comic Con doesn't let media badges cut the line. I'm literally going to go to lines and then tweet my location. And if anyone wants to come play with me, come find me. We can just buy. Right, right. Because um, I'm gonna be sad and alone. Um, uh, and then I haven't played Isolate Alien Isolation yet, which I'm really looking forward to playing. Actually, I got it. So I got it because. My father, okay, my father has never, right now I'm crashing at home with my parents, and my father, well, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm moving to California at the end of the month, spoilers, um, and I'm crashing at home with my family as I get all my stuff together, and my dad saw an ad, my dad's an alien fan, and my dad saw an mm-hmm. ad on TV for Alien Isolation, and uh, in between the scenes, it just says, terrifying, polygon.com. <laughs> like, like in the ad and my dad knows that I write for Polygon my parents read all my stuff it's very embarrassing and uh, my dad came home from work one day and he was like hey you're, I saw your website and the ad for that the game the aliens game and I'm like yes and he's like do you have it and I'm like not yet and he's like no my father has never never played a game in his life and he's like I'd be, uh-huh. I'd be interested to see that game and I was like Oh, okay. And I tweeted about it. I was like, my dad who never plays video games wants to play Alien Isolation. And all my friends who were reviewing immediately contacted me and were like, depending on how old your father is, you might not want him to play Alien Isolation. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, I was like, like, yeah, it's like pants shit ain't horrifying for the first couple hours. Yeah, I I, um, I do not (laughs) like survival horror. Like, like, I'm not apathetic about it. I, I just do not like it. But I have it coming uh, because I want to just at least play around with it a little bit. Um, yeah. I think it was actually uh, the, the Polygon review that I was like, <laughs> I'm not so sure. And then reading Arthur's tweet, like, yeah. I have here in my Google Doc where it will turn against you. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was funny. Uh, um, so I think I, I think I'll play with it. I mean, I don't I don't review games anymore. I mean, I will occasionally write a review uh, for Tom on Quarter to Three, um, but I have two podcasts, so I try to keep uh, new things constantly yeah. in the hopper so that I have stuff to talk about. So that was like perfect. Uh, I can play Alien and at least be able to um, kind of talk about that. But um, I am interested in it as an Alien game, mm-hmm. and the fact that it's survival horror. I'm, is not really my thing at all. So I don't expect to last very long. And if it's super scary, then I, I can't last. I, I like uh, scary. Yeah. I like scary movies, but extended like 20 hours of terror. I just, I can't do that. I'm, I'm a latecomer anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a latecomer to survival. Horror. I actually just got into it like maybe a year and a half ago. And I, mm-hmm. like, and I backpedaled and played like all the resident evil games that I missed and all like the silent hill games that I missed. So I like crammed everything together and it desensitized me for a while because I played all those games like in sure. rapid succession. Um, why I have no idea. And then a uh, big stretch of time went by and I played PT when mm-hmm. they released PT. And I just remember being in my room with the lights off or the, my room, my parents' house with the lights off. And I was screaming and my mother, my mother comes running down the hallway, busts open the door, and it's like, oh, my God, 
what's going on? Like, mom, it's a video game. And she just got really like rolled her eyes and worked out. But like, yeah, but like, there's a, you, there's a time and a place for survival horror. And it's definitely not in huge chunks. Right. <laughs> 20 I hours. Mean, I, I, to this day, cannot go through a department store and see a mannequin and not flash back to when I was playing Condemned oh, on the 360. And that first time you're in that department store and the mannequin just very calmly walks off. I had to, there's a time I had to stop playing that game. There's two times I had to stop doing something because I was scared. Uh, I had to stop playing condemned and I had to stop watching the descent because, uh, it turns out I don't like tight spaces, which I didn't know (laughs) until I watched that movie. And I stopped and I I went upstairs and my wife's like, I thought you were watching a movie. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it right now. I gotta go do something else. So, yeah, so 20, 25 hours of, of hiding in a locker just to be eviscerated by an alien. I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that, so then are you reviewing Bayonetta 2? Is that, is that, um, or are you playing that for funsies? Uh, playing it for funsies. I'll probably write something about it. Um, mm. But uh, I, I reviewed three games back to back at the, at the start of the season, back to back to back. And now I'm, yeah. I'm, I get a little bit of a break until... Like well, that's take. good. <laughs> yeah, it takes a lot out of you. Um, yeah. That's the one thing I do not I do not miss at all is uh, is having to rush through stuff um, in order to be to be timely. So, um, so where if people want to, you said you're going to tweet out when you are um, at uh, New York Comic Con, and are you cosplaying while you were there, or are you going to be in civilian garb? I'm going to be in civvy garb. I really wanted to cosplay. Actually, a, a friend. A friend of mine and I are working on uh, female versions of Talion and Celebrimbor. Oh, nice. Uh, They're not done, obviously, because uh, two weeks ago I decided I was moving to California. So that's what I'm focusing on. Um, There you go. That's precedence. Yeah, I'll be in normal clothes. I'll be looking very tired and hungry. So I'll be easy to spot. (laughs) Okay. But if uh, if you're tweeting out where you are, how would they follow you to to know, um, to read these tweets? Well, I am at Alexa Ray C on Twitter. Uh, I tweet a lot of nonsense. So is that, hopefully, and that's all one word, no underscores or anything like that? No underscores, one word. Okay, very good, very good. And, of mm-hmm. course, people can go to polygon.com and read yes. uh, Lord of the Rings piece. And uh, I really enjoyed your piece about playing um, Kingdom Hearts with your brothers. I thought that was great. Oh, thank you. Um, and I, uh, they're, they're doing well, hopefully. Everybody's Oh, yeah. Good. Oh, they're great. Raymond is in his, the middle child, Raymond is in his last year of college, and Jake is in his last year of high school, so we have two graduations coming up. Wow. Yeah, that's scary. (laughs) Yeah, well, so, well, that's good. Congratulations to both of them, and to your parents for raising three (laughs) uh, wonderful, successful children. Uh, Maybe. Um, (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll see. You know, benefit of the doubt, right? Yeah. That's good. (laughs) Uh, I have two of my own. If I can get uh, either of them out of the house without me murdering them, I will consider that uh, <laughs> successful. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so thank you so much for joining us. And I, I hope you had a good time. I hope we can tempt you to come back. Um, as yes, absolutely. I had so much fun. Yeah. Hopefully, once you get settled, um, you know, once you move to California and you become, you know, even a bigger shot, you'll remember oh. um, us here on the East Coast. Uh, although oh. Tom's on, Tom's in California, so apparently, uh, which is you know, uh, when you're not uh, on fire or <laughs> sliding down a mudslide, or eating burritos until I explode. 
Um, so thank you for joining us and uh, all of our listeners. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. And um, next week, Jason will be at the helm. I'm not sure uh, what we have planned, if I'll be joining him or not. But um, of course, uh, if I'm not on next week, I will be on the week after. I'm trying to get something together for Borderlands. We'll see if it works out. But for myself and for Alexa and for Tom, who very much appreciates you taking time to listen, uh, thank you and good night and have a good evening. Bye. Back in his home in the land of Shire, that brave little hobbit whom we all admire, just sitting on a treasure of silver and gold, puffing on his pipe in his hobbit ho ho, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, he's only three feet tall. Little hobbit of a ball.